Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. We're going to talk about a subject that I've entitled the message, Hard Hearts, Hard Hearts. And, and we're going to talk about what that means in light of this passage in Mark chapter 8, verses 11 to 21. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read this passage. You can follow along in your Bible or up on the screen. And then um, I, I just want to talk to you about a couple things about this uh, from this passage this morning. So let's read together, starting in verse 11. It says this, and the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, demanding from him a sign from heaven in order to test him. And sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, why does this generation demand a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat, and went to the other side. But the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. And they had only one loaf of bread with them in the boat. And as they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. And this, at this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying. So he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? Have you eyes? Can't you see? Have you ears? Can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterward? 12, they said. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet, he asked them. Let's pray. Lord, I just, I just ask that we would hear and respond to your invitation this morning. Your invitations are good. They're good for our lives. They're good for the lives of those around us. And so we ask that we would respond to your invitation this morning. Amen. So, as you can hear, Jesus asks his disciples in this passage about whether their hearts are hardened, which is where I get the, the title of this message from. But um, I... Maybe this is because, I've shared this before, maybe this is because I have grown up in, in the church. Maybe this is because I've, I've seen the ugly underbelly often of Christianity in the church, as many of you have in your own uh, upbringing. If you grew up in the church or you've been around church for more than uh, 30 seconds. Um, but the, the thing that gets crazy and, and kind of ugly and, and not great about church sometimes is, People in church can be kind of not nice. You ever notice that? 
It's a, you can talk honestly. It's okay. You're among friends. But I, amen, someone says. Like, I, I don't know why, but sometimes I find that Christians can be some of the meanest people I know. Not all the time. I know some really mean people who aren't Christians, but it's kind of easier to just be like, well, you know. But that, I'm saying that's a dismissive attitude on my part, though, isn't it? But, but often I, I'm like, why? What's going on? What's up with, what's up with people who, who are being touched in a powerful way by Jesus himself, God himself, come into the earth, living among us human and showing us how to live, putting his Holy Spirit inside of us as we talked a couple weeks ago about how he replaces our hard hearts with soft hearts. He wants to give us a new heart, he says in, in Jeremiah. And often I find myself around people who don't read that part of the Bible and make it their lived experience. I'm going real heavy real quick this morning. You know what I'm talking about, though? Does that bother any of you? Does it bother? Now, now we need to make sure that when we say yes, amen, that we do a little bit of turning that mirror back on ourselves. Because we're entering a really tricky time and, and age and season in the church, particularly in, in the United States and in Western culture, where one set of cultural values that also was kind of reflected in the church no longer are reflected in the culture. And so it can be really easy to do one of two things. Reject everything like we've been talking about out of hand saying, well, they're clearly falling away from God and, and we know what's truth here and we can be hardened in that way. Or what we can do is we can say, well, you know, the culture has some points here. and Maybe there's some other groups over here that we need to be a little more suspicious of. And, and so whatever our, our background is, it, we, we can very easily turn the judgment. We're really good at judging other people. It's a lot harder to look at ourselves, right? Oh, there's less amens on that one, though. See, there was a lot of amens when we were talking about how everyone else had problems. But it's, it, you hear what I'm saying? But when we turn the mirror inward... Oh, don't go there, Pastor. I'm fine. Don't, don't tell me what to do. There's other people that need that word. I can't tell you as a pastor how many times you can hear like, man, I wish so-and-so had heard your sermon today. But did you hear it? I'm being a little bit facetious, but I hope you get what I'm, I'm getting at here. It's a lot easier to look at other people than to look at ourselves. It's so much more comfortable, and we feel a sense of power, maybe a sense of pride, a sense of self-righteousness. I'm doing pretty good. But, but what I want to invite you into this morning from, from this passage and from Jesus' words is, will you suspend looking at anyone else but your own heart this morning? Can we agree to that for the next hour and a half? I don't know how long I'm going to preach. I'm just kidding. Can we agree to that for the next like 40 minutes or so, 35 minutes? We're, take this inward and look to yourself, okay? I, I say that, I, I kind of have a little bit of a pastoral heart in saying that because it's really easy to take what we're going to talk about and start applying it to everyone else and miss the biggest issue that you have control over. 
We don't have a lot of control over what other people do and say and respond. You have a tremendous amount of control over what you do, how you respond, yes? So I, I wanna caveat what we're gonna talk about with that. Because here's what I believe. I, I really believe that Jesus is inviting you and I into a deeper life with him than we can possibly imagine. I, I believe that Jesus is inviting us into a deeper way of being with God, into a deeper way of experiencing the love of the Father, receiving it for ourselves, loving God and loving others in, in a profound way. But we have a lot of obstacles to living in that deeper life in, in ourselves. I'm like, I know about my issues. I don't need you to remind me. I know about my issues too. I just want to reassure you. So I'm speaking with all of us in mind. But Jesus wants us to go into a deeper life with him. And, and my question for you this morning is, are you paying attention to his invitations? That, that word invitation has just been a, a word I find myself using a lot in the last couple of months because I think it's so appropriate to how Jesus is just drawing us in to him and longing for us to come close to him. But he's not uh, controlling or abusive or manipulative with how he draws us to himself. And so you will never see Jesus try and guilt you into coming closer to him. That's not how it works. What does the psalmist say? It's his kindness that leads me to repentance. It's not his guilt trip that led me to repentance. It's not him shaming me into performing better that led me to repentance. And, and so my heart this morning is that you would sense his invitation and actually sense his kindness and his love for you today. Because when we do not respond to his kindness, when we do not respond to what he's doing, that's when we get a hard heart. That's when we begin to get a hard heart, when we stop responding to Jesus' invitation in our life. Does anyone like really good bread? Do you like really good bread? I love really good bread. There's an amazing place in Warwick called Fanny's, and you must go there for breakfast. You have to. Um, and they bake these like French baguettes. They bake these baguettes fresh every day. And when I tell you they are the closest thing to being in the presence of God that you can experience, <laughs> I am selling it short. It's so good. It is so good. It, it's amazing. And, and it, it's just, you get that with like some really good butter or jam. Should we just go right now? Let's just, let's go. They, they, it's a really small place. It probably wouldn't work too well, but we should just go. But anyway, you have really good bread, but you know what the worst thing is, is when you have really good bread and you don't get to it in time and it goes stale. It's disappointing. See, imagine you get this amazing bread and you miss the invitation to eat it when it's calling you. And then it's, only good for the garbage or maybe for croutons. But it's not the same, is it? No. No. 
And there are many things in the same way that get in the way of us receiving that invitation from Jesus. Like we can eat that nice big hunk of bread. There's many things that get in the way of responding to that. Maybe it's just simply a, a lack of dependency on Jesus. We're far more comfortable being in control and depending on what we can manage on our own. So that, that invitation's too risky for me to take. Or, or maybe, this is where it gets tricky, we love those moments with God when we feel something or, or it's, a, it's a powerful response and, and, and then we don't actually walk it out in any kind of continued devotion. I love the smell of the bread, but I'm, I, I don't quite get to eating it. It's kind of what that's like. Or, or like James says, we're hearers of the word but not doers of the word. Or we're not responding to the voice of the Holy Spirit as he's inviting us, calling us. There's all sorts of, maybe we have fear of other people or their opinions. What are they gonna think if I respond to this invitation from Jesus? Are they gonna think that I've gotten a little too weird with my faith? Are they gonna think I'm, I'm getting a little too extreme and I need to settle down? Like, hey, I, I love that you're, you're doing this whole Christian thing. I think it's great for you. I've seen a change in your life. But now you're getting a little weird and you should probably stop. There needs to be like a little bit of balance and rationality in your life. So these kind of obstacles get in the way and, and this response, these invitations from Jesus go unanswered and our hearts grow hard. And Jesus though is still inviting you. That's the good news. You might even be wondering, I don't even need to preach the rest of this message and you're already thinking, oh, I know where I'm hard. I know where my heart is hard. I know where I'm callous. I know where I'm, I'm bitter. I know all, these, all of these things that are, that are bothering me. I, I know where the issue is. There's no question. But let me tell you the good news is that he has not stopped inviting you. And he wants to break the hard ground, as, as it says in Hosea, he wants to break up the fallow ground, that soil that was hardened over, break it up and churn it up so it's soft again so it can receive what God wants to do in you. And this passage that I just read, it reveals two specific obstacles to responding to Jesus' invitation. And I want to just ask two questions that we can use as kind of diagnostic questions to ask yourself. Do I have any hardness of heart that is keeping me from receiving and going deep in the life that Jesus has for me? So we're just going to ask these two questions this morning from the text. And then I'm going to invite us into a, a short time of response. But first is this, where is your dependency? Where is your dependency? That's the first question we have to ask to discern if there's any hardness of heart that we're carrying. You know, a little bit of undependency, if I can just make up a word, a little bit of that unbelief, it can affect, affect every bit of area, uh, every bit of life. This is what verse 11 is all about. The Pharisees, they're asking for another sign. They've seen all of his miracles and exorcisms and the feeding of the 5,000. It's probably likely that the Pharisees got some of that multiplied bread. They were always around Jesus. 
Can you imagine tasting a miracle and then going, can you show me a sign that you're really who you say you are? Yeah, but I, I need to see it. That's why Jesus didn't give him a sign. Not that he was afraid like it wouldn't work. This is a little bit of a side note, but there are often going to be very religious people that demand that you prove what God is doing in your life. The best thing you can do is say like, sorry, I, I can't help you right now. Because they don't really, you could give them a thousand signs and proofs of what God's doing and show them from the scripture why it's true and they're still not gonna hear. So it's likely that the Pharisees were around and they were just, Jesus, it says in the text, he sighed deeply in his spirit. You ever have to sigh deeply because you, moms know a lot about this. Dads too, but you know what I'm saying? I just, I know from in our household, Jillian's home with the girls more and there's a lot of moments where it's like, didn't you ask me this like a thousand times already today? Sometimes we have coworkers that we sigh in our spirit towards. <sighs> Again. And so Jesus and the disciples get in the boat and they've left that crowd and it's almost like Jesus is still musing on this and thinking about it and he says, you guys need to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. And you, some of you who are bakers, who's a baker? Who likes to do baking? Anyone? You ever work with the leaven? It's the yeast. It's the, it's the leavening agent that's gonna cause that dough to rise. And how much yeast do you use? Do you use a lot of yeast? How much? Like just a tiny little bit, right? The tiniest little drop of yeast will cause that whole thing to rise. And, and what Jesus is saying here is this yeast gets added to the bread of your life and causes it to rise. You, you just need a tiny little bit of the hardness of heart of the Pharisees and the, of Herod in your life, and it can ruin the whole batch. Now, some of us want our bread to be risen, but there's a reason why he's saying that's a, not a good thing in this context. Jesus is making a reference to something that was really central to the Jewish people, and that was the Passover. And the Passover is the story that we read in the book of Exodus about how God led the Israelites out of slavery of 400 years in Egypt and into the promised land. And the night they were going to escape is the Passover night. And they said, you're gonna have this lamb, you're gonna cook it, and, and you're gonna have unleavened bread. Why? Because you don't have time to wait for the bread to rise because you're getting out of here quick. Have this feast to celebrate what God's doing to get you out and you're gonna remember it every year and celebrate it. Jewish people to this day celebrate the Passover. This has been going on for thousands of years. Thousands of years. And, and so this was something that's really important in the mind of any good Jewish person. It was important in their culture. So Jesus saying, you need to be aware of this kind of leaven. And they're like, whoa. Because the, the leaven didn't just represent practically like hurry up, we gotta go. It also represented them leaving out of their life the influence of Pharaoh, the influence of dependency on Pharaoh, the influence of dependency on being in Egypt. It rep represented all of that. So to not have yeast was good. If you had yeast in your life, if you had the leavening agent you have something that's not supposed to be in there. Even if it's a tiny bit, it's gonna affect the whole batch and you need to get it out. So it was a sign that they were leaving the old ways of their life in Egypt and coming into the new. 
And, and like I mentioned, like they were leaving dependency on Pharaoh. What do you mean leaving dependency on Pharaoh? Didn't they hate that guy? He enslaved them. The Pharaohs for 400 years had enslaved them. Well, you start to realize how dependent they were on Pharaoh when they start to get out into the wilderness. Because what happens when they're out there? They start complaining. God, why did you do this to us? We don't have any food. We should go back to Egypt. Pharaoh fed us. Doesn't that sound messed up? Moses, you did this to us. They were constantly complaining in their, in their wilderness wanderings. And it, and it exposed how dependent they actually were on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Even though they were enslaved and treated like tools, not human beings. 24-7, all they were good for, their identity existed in making bricks for massive building projects. In creating more children so that they had more tools to make more bricks for massive building projects. That was their sole existence. That was how they identified themselves. They were totally utilitarian in that way. And so the question was always with them, are you depending on me, God is saying, or are you still trying to depend on Pharaoh? This is the question when the leaven is involved. Is the leaven of Pharaoh there? You see, it was the easy part was for God to take the Israelites out of Egypt. What was hard was to get Egypt out of the Israelites. How often do we do this? You're like, I'd never do that. That sounds crazy. We all do this. How many of you have come back to faith in Jesus? Or, you know what, I, I, I feel like there's something that God's doing in me spiritually. I need to go back to church. Uh, there's a hunger for something. I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it's something like that. Or, or maybe you get a healing. You get healed of something, some kind of physical illness or pain. Or, or you have some kind of significant breakthrough that God does in your life. Any of these. And then it, it's awesome for a little bit. And then how many of you find that after that, you find like it's actually like, in some ways created other problems. Now you might be thinking that sounds crazy. How could it create other problems? And, and we sit there, but, but often it does. Like listen, if you are, let's just use this. Say you were completely paralyzed like some of the people that Jesus healed and you get healed totally. Now you have to go work. You don't get to just sit there and let people provide for you anymore. It changes the problem. So it's like, wait a minute, God, like, life was good when I was a, a lame beggar. Jesus, why did you heal me? Now I have to provide, and, and, and I have to work, and I have to take responsibility for things in my own life. Have you ever thought that or said that when God does something? You get all this peace that floods your life, and, and God does something powerful, and then like a, a week or a month later or whatever it is, suddenly you're like, why is this so hard? It was better before. We do the same thing. Just a couple of examples. Uh, this actually happens, believe it or not, sometimes with people who are chronically ill or sick uh, when, you, when you're praying for healing. Um, they, they actually don't want to get well when it comes right down to it. Because there's, and I'm not saying this is for everyone that's, that's sick, but, but sometimes people who are sick do not want to get well. Why? Because they get a lot of attention and sympathy. And, and they, they need that. Everyone has a human need to get some kind of attention. Did you know that? That's like God-given need for community. 
to need each other. That's, that's a good thing. But it gets twisted and it gets turned into a selfish, just, I, it's not mutual, it's just me getting attention sometimes when someone's carrying around chronic illness. There's actually an extreme version of this that's a mental illness called Munchausen syndrome. Have you heard of that? Where someone actually thinks they're sick or they fake illness to get themselves into hospitals and different things like that because they are longing for sympathy and attention. That's pretty rare, but you don't have to have a mental illness to be experiencing that on some level. And Jesus heals you from the sickness, and all the while after, you're like learning how to get the sickness out of your soul. Or what about someone who's come to faith in in Jesus, and and after a while, why is life getting harder, not easier? Okay, God, I I get that that maybe like there's, Things are not going to be perfect. Life isn't perfect. But man, I I just thought at least I'd go through the imperfect seasons with a a sense of peace. And I'm just a mess right now. You see, God in those moments, I hope this is encouraging for some of you. God is trying to teach you dependence on him in that season instead of on yourself or whatever you used to depend on. Because if you don't learn dependence on God, ultimately you'll go back to your Egypt. You see, the breakthrough, the the salvation, the healing, that was actually the easy part. What God is now trying to do in you is get you to depend on him entirely and remove the leaven, remove the yeast, remove that thing that is keeping you from being dependent upon him. Now, here's where the problem comes in. Often, when, when we are, we're following Jesus, we're really excited, something powerful happens in our lives, and then the problem hits, and the challenging seasons hit, the problem is that we often don't respond to Jesus' invitation in those hard seasons. And instead of responding to him saying, I need to learn how to depend on you, which softens our hearts, we get bitter like the Israelites in the wilderness. We get angry at God. Why have you done this to me? Things in our hearts come up and we realize there's forgiveness or reconciliation that needs to happen and we refuse to do it or acknowledge it. We don't want to acknowledge the deeper work Jesus wants to do in us. And then we start longing to return to the comforts of of the world, the comforts of the way we operated before and, and some of us turn back to Egypt. Or at the very least, we just allow our hearts to remain hard. Are you following me? And the Pharisees and the religious leaders that Jesus was dealing with here, they had so hardened their hearts. They they had such a a need to see profound, amazing miracles. And, And even though they saw all this, their attitude was constantly, what have you done for me lately, Jesus? great, I saw you feed the 5,000. I just saw you cast out all these demons. I saw you heal all these people. But could you give us a sign so we know who you say you are is true? How many times do we say things like that to Jesus? It's like putting a, for those of you who know the story, putting a fleece out like Gideon. Like, okay, God, I think I heard you, but let's just be sure. And we're trying to play games when he's like, I've already told you. I've already confirmed it. You see, the the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're coming to Jesus. They're still living with Egypt in their heart, even though they knew all the right things. 
Egypt was still deeply embedded in their hearts. Their loyalty was to their own agenda, not to Jesus, and so they constantly needed a sign. See, the leaven of the Pharisees inherit in our world today, it's like a gravitational pull to things like our culture, towards religion, towards power, towards fame, towards influence, towards money. These all encourage us to kind of stoke the flame of our own desires at the expense of desiring Jesus. And we start to depend on those things instead of depending on Jesus. You know, Jesus could have, have said to us, beware of the leaven of the American church in Western culture. And it would have rang pretty true to what he said to his own disciples. Something like, beware of the leaven of the American church with its mantra of bigger is better and hype is the same as the Holy Spirit. Or beware of the leaven of the American church with its call to ministry performance without any kind of purity or power. Beware of the, the leaven of Western culture with its priority of seeking personal comfort at the expense of any kind of pain, discomfort, or sacrifice for others. Beware of the leaven of Western culture with its concern for not looking too weird in our devotion to Jesus. You could add your own. But Jesus is giving us a warning not to let our personal loyalties, our personal desires, our personal dependencies to be upon anything or anyone other than Jesus. Is there leaven in your heart? Is there leaven in your life? See, when we let that leaven remain, it rises, it spreads throughout the whole life, and it hardens our hearts. True religion requires a soft heart that is responsive to Jesus. And when our hearts become hardened in this way because we've ignored the invitation, we remain unresponsive and unmoved by Jesus. And we only remain responsive to our own agendas. So again, the first question to ask yourself is, where is your dependency? Do a little self-diagnosis for a moment. Is it upon Jesus or your agenda? It can be hard sometimes because sometimes it looks like Jesus things, but it's really our agenda and not Jesus. Where is your dependency? If everything that you trust in and rely upon just failed, what would you have left? It's a good indicator. There's one more question, and it's this, and, and this honestly might be one that some of us, if not most of us, are dealing with, and it's this question, have you learned your lesson? The second question you need to ask yourself to discern whether there's any hardness of heart is, have you learned your lesson? When we're trying to, Jillian and I are trying to teach our, our daughters how to, how to do something, we, we often have to repeat the lesson over and over and over again and kind of do it alongside them. Like right now, Phoebe's like 20 months and, and she's getting angry and sometimes she'll like throw something. She'll find something if there's nothing in her hand to throw it when she's angry. And so what we try and do, not perfectly, but be really consistent in teaching her that we put things down gently. So we'll have her go pick the thing up as best we can with a 20-month-old. 
and just have her, can you put it down gently? She'll put it down gently. Great job. And we try and like reinforce that, right? It's a really simple thing, but we try and do these little lessons alongside our children. And it takes time for them to learn the lesson. Very similarly, God has to continue to come alongside you and I with things in our lives until we learn the lesson. Over and over again, it feels like I'm doing the same thing. You ever feel like you're in the same place, stuck in the same situation over and over again? Different people, different places, different dates, different times, but it's the same issue. Anyone ever experienced that? So a great question to ask yourself once that dawns on you is, hold on, is Jesus trying to teach me something in the midst of this? What I'm not saying is Jesus is causing the problems in your life. What I am saying is he's using these moments to teach you if you will pay attention to his invitation. Am I aware of what Jesus is trying to teach me in this season or am I ignoring it and missing it? Have I learned my lesson? What is the lesson? See, the disciples had been missing the lesson that Jesus had been teaching them for the first whole section of the book of Mark. A lot of commentators kind of mark this do you understand that he says in verse 21 as kind of the end of like the first act of the book of Mark. And, and it's, it's wrapped up with this, like I've been trying to teach you something this whole time. Do you not understand? Are your hearts hardened? You see, the disciples were concerned when Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. The first thing they're going is, do we not bring enough bread? Who was in charge of bringing bread? They think he's asking like, you guys should have brought bread and you failed. You're as bad as the Pharisees and Herod. They're, they're freaking out. We didn't bring enough bread. I wasn't supposed to bring the bread. I brought the bread last time. You were supposed to bring the bread this time. No one told me to bring the bread. Don't put it on me. And we start blaming each other and they're fighting. Now, here's what's kind of humorous about this passage. They were on the Sea of Galilee. Remember I told you before, it's a lake. The Sea of Galilee is a lake. I've been there a couple times. It's a lake in terms of its depth. It's a lake in terms of its size. It's a large lake, but it's a lake. It doesn't take you that long to get anywhere you want to go when you're on a boat around the lake. That's what's really humorous around this. They're going on a short boat ride to Bethsaida, which isn't like a new place where they don't know anyone. Many of the disciples that are with Jesus in the boat, this is their hometown. So like there's no need for them to worry at all about whether they have enough bread, enough supplies. They're gonna be at Bethsaida very shortly. They're not gonna have to skip meals and take rations and starve to death on the boat on their journey. But here's what's fascinating about this is Jesus makes a comment and instantly it reveals in them all of their anxiety and all of their unbelief. Here's, here's what this is like. Do you ever have like something that comes up in your life and, and you don't have all the facts or the details, but you start getting really fearful or really anxious or worried about it? Or you, well, when I talk to them, I'm gonna tell them this. And, like, and you build this whole idea in your mind and then you get the rest of the information and you're like, oh, oh, okay, that wasn't, that wasn't what I thought it was. You ever had that happen? I know like that happens to everyone because we're human. Jillian likes to say, don't put a down payment on a problem you might not have. That's very helpful wisdom. Take that one. Uh, it helps me every day. So, so this is what they're doing in a lot of ways is there, there's so much anxiety that's coming up being revealed to them because there's literally no need for them to be worried about how much bread they have, right? 
But for some reason, it's unearthing all of this anxiety and their anxiety is revealing how much unbelief they actually still have. Because Jesus' response to them is fascinating. He's like, even if I was talking about the bread, which I wasn't, even if I was talking about the bread, haven't you guys figured it out by now that I'm going to provide? And then he asked them, how much bread was left over after we fed the 5,000? How much bread was left over after we fed the 4,000? Don't you see? Is there that much unbelief in your heart still? You see, they had seen everything, just like the Pharisees. They'd seen everything God did, even closer. God had demonstrated his power through Jesus. They themselves had been able to see people healed and delivered. Jesus had already sent them out at this point to do ministry. They had literally seen people, laid their hands on people, commanded sickness, commanded demons to go, and they're gone. And they're still concerned about this. We're going to starve to death on this tiny little boat ride along this lake. Now, here's what we have to understand about unbelief that they're experiencing. This is really important for us to grasp. Uh, belief... Uh, the way we talk about believing in something generally is, is much more like uh, what's called like intellectual assent than in terms of uh, belief the way the Bible talks about it. What I mean intellectual assent, um, what I'm talking about is agreeing with or knowing a fact and saying, yes, that, tr that fact is true. It's an entirely different thing to do biblical belief, which is an action associated with that fact that you agree with. Let me, let me give you an illustration to paint the picture. I live over on Greenwood Lake, and in the summer, my girls want to swim in the lake. That's all they want to do. They want to swim. So if it's a 90-degree day in the middle of the summer, the water's beautiful, it's a sunny day, and, and, and the girls are like, it's, is it warm out? Is, can we go swimming? Yes, intellectual ascent. It is warm enough to go swimming, all of that. But I don't think it's a good idea to go swimming. We shouldn't go swimming. It's probably not going to be good for swimming. But didn't you just say it was 90 degrees and it was good for swimming? Yeah, but it's not good for swimming. We can't actually swim, even though, yes, the weather is perfect for swimming. Do you, do you hear how confusing that what I just said is? That's what we often do, and that's what the disciples are doing here in this, this moment. We, we do things like intellectual ascent. God is our provider. Well, yeah, but I'm not actually going to take a risk and stick my neck out to, like, see if that's true. God is my healer. Yeah, but I mean, will he really heal me? God loves me more than anything, but let me just hedge my bets and make sure that I do enough in my church to make sure that I'm covered. You see, intellectual assent without action hardens our hearts. Say, yes, I agree with that, and then we walk off and don't live in response to that truth. James 1.22 says it far better. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. Or 1 Thessalonians 5.19 and 20. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. How do you stifle the Holy Spirit? Verse 20. Do not scoff at prophecies. 
Prophecy is referring here to uh, words and things that God is personally, invitations from the Holy Spirit for your life. You realize when, when the Holy Spirit, when Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is inviting you into something, this is 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 20. And when we scoff at or ignore what God is trying to do in that moment, we are stifling the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We are hardening our hearts. One of the worst things that you and I can do as Christians is to spout off religious platitudes without embodying it in our daily lives. This is why Jesus says, you, or in the New Testament, excuse me, Jesus doesn't say this, in the New Testament, it often talks about teachers. Not many of you should desire to be teachers. Why? You're going to be judged twice as harshly as everyone else. Super. I'm looking forward to that. Listen, it is only by the grace of Jesus that I'm up here or anyone else comes up here to preach or teach. But seriously, if we're... If we're spouting off true doctrine, intellectual assent, and we're not actually embodying it. If our, like I use this all the time with our discipleship, if it does not, if it's not embodied in our behavior, in our bank accounts, in our calendars, in the way we treat our families, our coworkers, the way we speak, the way we honor, the way we trust, we don't actually believe in the biblical sense experiencing God do something powerful in your life on Sunday or, or making a fresh commitment to him in a moment and then acting Monday through Saturday like nothing happened and nothing changes, this hardens our hearts. Now, I, I don't say this to shame, absolutely not. I don't say this to condemn. I, I say this to invite you to let the Spirit soften your hearts this morning. Have you learned your lesson? Have you learned your lesson? What lesson are you in right now? Maybe this is an encouraging moment to go, oh, he's trying to teach me something. Have you learned your lesson? Are you remaining teachable and moving from unbelief to belief or have you short-circuited the belief and hardened your heart? I just wanna close with this. I asked you two questions today. Two questions. Where's your dependency? And have you learned your lesson? Jesus in this passage asks eight successive questions to his disciples. Like the last few verses is just him asking eight questions. Do your eyes see? Do your ears hear? Don't you get it? Are your hearts hard? Do you understand? I'd be overwhelmed if he asked me that many questions. He only stops briefly so they can hear themselves say, yeah, there were 12 baskets of bread. Yep, there were another four left over. Okay. He asks questions, barely getting a response. The word, don't you understand, literally, do you not yet understand? I love the yet there, and that's how this story ends, because Jesus and, and Mark, the writer, he leaves this open-ended. It just ends. Do you not yet understand? We, we could phrase this another way. Hey, you've been seeing Jesus work. You've been hearing what he's done. You, you've 
had a sense that there's an opportunity to respond, yet you haven't yet. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Don't just hear me say that as someone going through the motions of preaching. Hear me saying that to you. Jesus is always inviting every one of us into something. It's not like you hit pause for a season once you get it all. What are you gonna do? You've seen all this. He's been teaching you. He's been inviting you, but you haven't responded yet. What do you wanna do? So that invitation still stands. It's an invitation through a question. How would you like to respond to Jesus this morning? There, like I said, there is zero guilt. There's no shame. Jesus doesn't guilt people into responding to his invitations. He doesn't shame anyone into it. It's really up to you. He won't love you any less. I won't love you any less. It's really a question, do you want your heart to be hard still or not? So here's what I want to do. I just, I want us to, I know it's, the time is what it is, but I need us to just take a minute before the Lord. I don't need you to do this. I, I feel like this, this morning, this was the invitation from God this morning because I, I, I'll, I'll be totally transparent. I had to spend a little time repenting myself this morning before I could preach this. I couldn't just get up here and, and share this with you without, I, my prayer was essentially along the lines of, Lord, do not let me anywhere near any kind of platform or influence or teaching or anything that you know, not if I think, but that you know my character can't sustain. If you know there's leaven in me, Lord, do not let me anywhere near something that will, will destroy me as much as I might want it. And, and my prayer this morning is that there would be something similar to that that echoes in your heart. There's so much I want, God, in life, but I want to make sure I learn your lesson before you hand me anything. And I give you permission to keep me from what I think is a blessing because you know it's actually a curse. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.